WDEL On Demand, brought to you by Stanley Steamer. Air duct cleaning. Delaware's clean air experts. Call 1-800-STEAMER. So functionally and politically, does it make sense for outgoing Republican State Auditor Tom Wagner, suffering severe health challenges, to appoint the Republican candidate for that position, James Spadola, as Deputy Auditor? Dr. Paul Brewer, Professor, Department of Political Science and International Relations at the University of Delaware, and also Research Director of the Center for Political Communication at the U of D, following local politics. And uh, Dr. Brewer, your thoughts, uh, uh, help or a hindrance? Yeah, I won't speak to the functionality of it, but the politics of it, it's, it's at the very least highly unusual for a retiring office holder to appoint a new deputy who's also a candidate three weeks before an election. And obviously this, you know, Spadola is running on a theme of an independent watchdog, and some observers might argue this muddies the message that he was trying to put out there. Now he's pretty much the, you know, the protege of Wagner. Now whether that helps or hurts, uh, this seems like a pretty risky move. It, it could play out either way, but... My take is Spadola is running as a Republican in Delaware, which is always an uphill climb, especially in 2018 where the bigger political landscape suggests there could be a blue wave. It's a good year to be a Democrat. My, you know, it's tempting to interpret this as Spadola is looking at the campaign and seeing that he needs to take a gamble and take a chance that this is going to help rather than hurt. It seems like a risky move at this stage in the campaign. Well, it does get his name on the news, good or bad. I must say, from exit polling voters all these years, it's not as though a lot of voters mention the auditor's race very often. You know, it's either top of the ballot or their local legislative races. But let me uh, kind of weave it this way, and that is I'm aware of some uh, some upstate progressive Democrats who are not exactly happy with the Democratic nominee and might have thought to vote for Spadola, even holding their noses voting for any Republican, is kind of a protest vote. And maybe uh, the commercials running about you you need a, a check on the dominant political party might have resonated, but then whether this whole ploy, if that's what it is, Undoes that undoes that. Yeah, I do really wonder whether this is going to help more than uh, hurt more than it helps because you know there are some progressive voices in the Democratic Party up, upstate who aren't necessarily that happy with McGinnis, who's the Democratic nominee. And for Spadola to win, he's got to get some crossover voters. Uh, maybe he's hoping that uh, because Wagner's been successful in the past, that some of that rubs off on him. But it it does seem to run the risk of sacrificing a chance to, to peel off some people who normally vote Democratic. Yeah, just a weird gambit here so close. And, of course, uh, I know there will be endless speculation. Uh, did the outgoing uh, auditor come up with that on his own, or did somebody else encourage him, nudge him to go there? We may not know for a while, if ever. Let me go on. We had that Senate debate. Senator Copper, Bob Arlett, the Republican. And, of course, I mean, this came up many years ago, uh, in, in Carper's career, but you could argue in the Me Too era, everybody's pasts are being resurrected. What do you think of that, Arlette bringing up the old Carper uh, uh, accusation that he uh, physically hit his wife, his first wife? I was, I was there in the room, and uh, for the entire debate, that was easily the tensest and most emotional moment of the debate. Uh, Carper showing a lot of emotion on that. You know, it's a little bit of a risky moment for both candidates, I think, you know, Arlette would probably rather have somebody else like the moderator or even a campaign ad that doesn't have his voice in it bring that up as an issue. But he might be in a position where, you know, he's down in the polls, he, he doesn't necessarily have a lot of resources to run ads, that he's got to bring that up himself. Now, Carper, you know, responded, I, I thought, fairly passionately. 
I thought maybe he stumbled a bit at the beginning when the context I brought it up was a woman coming to Carper's office right. and trying to challenge him on this. And so Carper began his answer by calling the woman, I forget exactly what his words were, but uh, something like a weirdo or a wacko. I'm paraphrasing here. And I'm not sure that was the best strategic message for Carper to start off his answer with, disparaging the woman no matter but, what. But there was kind of the notion outside group, uh, you know, someone uh, with, with, with a motive, uh, much like when it was brought up against Janet Brisnicki, uh women uh, backing her years and years ago. Yes, I think I think he was trying to convey that message. I'm not sure it came across at the beginning of his answer as effectively as it could have. What did you think of that House debate? Uh, well, you know, I think the big question there, we were all wondering, was what, what was Scott Walker going to show up like? And, you know, I think going to the debate, probably there were pretty low expectations for him, given all the controversy surrounding his campaign and his unconventional campaign status, you know, not filing an FEC report, not having a conventional campaign website. The people I talked to were actually thought that he sounded more civil and reasonable and thoughtful than they, they might have expected. So I guess in that sense, uh, he did better than expected. He, he did throw out some kind of unconventional ideas like getting rid of the CDC. I'm not sure that's a message that's really going to resonate with voters. But on the other hand, he tried to present himself as a centrist for a fair part of the debate. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of centrist or, or whatever, I, of course, while that debate was going on, we had our WDL uh, debate of the candidates uh, who would be attorney general. And it was interesting there because, of course, we have a Democrat-turned-Republican, African-American, uh, taking, should we say, positions you would not normally associate with Republicans these days. For example, four square against capital punishment in all instances. Yes, and so I was an ethic debate, but I think the Republican Party in Delaware seems to be in a bit of a flux. You've got Spadola, who back in 2016 was talking like a never-Trumper. You've got Arlette also running as a Republican this year, who you know was affiliated with the Trump campaign in 2016. Then you've got Scott Walker, who was a Democrat in 2016 and has been disavowed by the state Republican Party. So it's a, I think it's a little hard to tell exactly where the state Republican Party is going right now. Well, you know, in a sense, I, I remember 30 years ago in Delaware, and uh, the Democratic Party was very much ideologically inconsistent upstate versus downstate. The old conservatives who might have been called Dixiecrats and upstate Democrats who were more liberal, more progressive. Of course, a lot of establishment types like Tom Carper, uh, but now it would seem as the Brandywine hundred Republicans have kind of detached from the downstate GOP. Some of them have gone independent or even uh, Democrat when they were voting for Markel in 2008 and even Obama. It seems now that what the Democrats uh, had uh, ideologically split uh, 30 years ago is what the Republicans have now in Delaware. Yes, and it's you know, it's hard to envision the Republicans winning statewide elections with candidates who are more of a Trump-style candidate like a, an Arlette or looking back to 2010, a Tea Party candidate like O'Donnell or, or Scott Walker. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting to look at Ken Simpler, who's a candidate who might fit more of that establishment mold, or Spadola, I think, might be going for that as well. And I think you could argue that the, the state party is a bit of a crossroads as to whether they're going to double down on a more populist, more strong conservative position or try to come up with candidates who appeal to this more centrist Delaware way. What do you think is simpler in the sense of kind of flying below the radar there, just not wanting to be noticed as an R so he can uh, uh, pass through even in a blue wave? Yeah, he certainly has seemed to keep a low profile. We did some polling on his uh, favorability ratings along with the other Delaware elected officials, and his hasn't really moved very much since 2016, and this is obviously the year he's running for re-election, so he's not making a lot of waves, making a lot of news. I don't know if he's keeping his head down, trying to avoid the blue wave like you suggest. 
uh, to set himself up for a better political environment down the road. It's really interesting to see whether his incumbency will prevail over what seems to be the the you know the 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 big picture political trend. Well, I gotta say, I think his predecessor Flowers uh, sent out more news releases. Uh, in uh, two days than Simpler does in a year. But uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, of course, it, the, the news about Flowers is also eventually his undoing. Yeah, so. yeah, well, yeah. So anything else uh, strike you here uh, just a few weeks before the election? Uh, the, the incumbents, and this is no big shocker here, you know, Lisa Blunt Rochester, uh, in, our, in our debate last night, seemed to play it pretty safe, focusing on her record in Congress. She and Carper are both presenting themselves as, you know, uh, Democrats who have pretty you know, standard Democratic positions, but also emphasizing their willingness to reach across the aisle. Uh, the, which, which, of course, is anathema to the uh, progressive movement Democrats. Yes, and, you know, you had that challenge against Carper where Harris, you know, ran a challenge, but, you know, eventually came up, came up pretty short. I think Carper is pretty much an institution. I did think it was a little interesting and perhaps strange that Carper, one of Carper's first answers, he advertised the fact that he voted for Kavanaugh in the past. Then he went on to say that he voted against him. Yeah, this that time. was interesting to bring that out because, of course, a lot of people would not have remembered except for the attacks on him by his opponent in the primary. Yes, yeah, so I was a little surprised that he seemed to be echoing a theme that was uh, central in Harris's criticism of him. Yeah. All right, Professor, thank you. Welcome. And uh, for our listeners, you'll be part of our election night coverage on WDEL as we move ahead. Thanks so much, Paul. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Dr. Paul Brewer, Professor, Department of Political Science, Department of Communication, Research Director of the Center for Political Communication at the U of D on uh, the uh, curious uh, Wagner-Spadola uh, gambit and all the political debates of last night.